Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And I can tell already in the last 10 minutes that we've been in the studio, we're going to have an incredible conversation with our guest today. I'm very happy and excited to introduce you to Vera Minot, who is the Creative Director with Southwest Solutions. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Happy to have you here. And Elena Joy Thurston, who is the owner of Elena Joy Experience. Welcome. Thank you so much. This will be great. I, already. Like, we're laughing. <laughs> we're giggling. We're, uh, we already have some private jokes going. It's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, so I would love, let's just to start off with our, our listeners and our viewers, having each of you introduce yourselves and the company and or organizations that you represent, and then we'll just, we'll go from there. Do you mind starting for us, Selena? I think you're the first point of contact when Daryl, our studio manager and producer, reached out to you on LinkedIn, I think. Yeah, that was a great message to receive. This is an exciting experience. I've done so much stage work. I've done a TED Talk. I've done keynotes. I've done so much. I've never done a live radio show. So this is a new one We didn't cover that before we went live. <laughs> oh, now the pressure's on. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So my name is Elena Joy. My pronouns are she, her, and I run a consulting company for corporations to develop inclusive leadership within their organization. I'm also a founder of a nonprofit, and I'm a mom of four beautiful kids, and I'm based out of Queen Creek. Uh, the nonprofit is what? Pride and Joy Foundation. Our mission is to prevent suicide and homelessness in the LGBTQ plus community. We have so much to talk about. Do you have three hours blocked <laughs> off for today's hour-long show? Thank you for the work that you're doing. We Thank have you. much, much, many things to talk about and celebrate. And your four kids range age-wise? Yes. So my youngest is 12. My oldest is 20. I've got two boys and two girls. I've got 28, 26, boy, girl, and then a 15-year-old still at home with me. Oh, so we, man. yeah, lots of commonalities here. Yes. Very good. <laughs> and Vera, who are you first? And tell us about your company and then how the two of you are connected. So my name is Vera Minot. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm the creative director, part owner of Southwest Solutions. So we are a custom marketing materials agency in Tucson. I help businesses build their brand impact basically with intentionally curated materials. So like promotional products, apparel, executive gifts. And it's a lot of fun. And in the free time that I don't really have, I'm also the president <laughs> of the Tucson LGBT Chamber of Commerce, which is how Elena Joy and I are connected. Met her through, I think, inviting you to be a program speaker actually for the chamber. Mm -hmm. And now Elena Joy serves on our advocacy committee and has been a returning speaker for us. And she's also an executive coach of mine. So we've got a lot of cross intersections. Yes. yes. Love it. We do that here at Business Radio X to a lot of our clients who come and do their podcast with us. Also are clients of mine with my coaching practice and vice versa. They fill my, the holes that I, where I have needs to. I love that. It's community, right? That's how it really, we, is. It really is. What is the saying? All boats rise with the tide or Rising something like that. Something, yeah, something yeah. like that. I got it backwards. <laughs> That's my... Yeah. We're with you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so how long have you been, the, is it a, a director role for the LGBTQ chamber in Tucson? So I've been the president, president. for a year. We're a volunteer-run organization. So I've been involved on the board of directors since 2018. And this is my first, this is my first year as president. No, wait, I'm in my second year as president. <laughs> Time is meaningless. Right. Um, and 
the months just fly by. So I, I spent a couple years as the vice president and we are in the process of hiring an executive director, which would be really huge. Very good. And uh, I believe we have an LGBTQ uh, chamber here in the Metro Phoenix area. You do, run by Michael Mazzocco. And is there some alignment there? There's some synergy? Or are you kind of— So we are both subsidiaries of sure. the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. So we're related in that way. We get to see each other at conferences. But right. we serve different communities with different sets of values. So we try to work together as much as we can. But really, it's like just— chatting peer-to-peer because there's not a lot of crossover between Tucson and Phoenix, as you probably know. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I do. We're trying to help fill that void a little bit because we, I mean, we're all Arizona and proud uh, to be Arizonans. Local First Arizona, Thomas Bard does his show with us. One of, I know he has a handful of podcasts. And Arizona Technology Council, same thing. Steve Zoster and I do that show together and have for years. And they both have big representation in the Tucson area. And so we're we're always working. How can we make that long stretch on the 10 feel a little bit closer? (laughs) Teleportation would help. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And and Tucson, I haven't been there in a while. Tucson, the last maybe five or six years. How how long have you been there? I actually was born and raised in Tucson. uh, I've moved away a couple times. I was living in central Texas for about five years when I came back in 2018. And in the five years I was gone, it had changed tremendously. Right. So as an an outsider, and again, I'm not there very often. I'm happy to see someone who born and raised there say yes. And and in really some great ways. Oh my gosh. Some great ways. I mean, there's always pros and cons, right? The more development and that comes in brings delicious restaurants and wonderful things to do. But the flip side of that is that gentrification also, you know, usually forces BIPOC people out of their homes and rising rent prices. And so there's, it's a complex problem, but the food is amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's what it comes and then down there, to. And then there's the food, right? <laughs> if we've got good food, we can make anything work. Oh, yeah. Possibly. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about your work. You mentioned that you go into corporations and organizations and bring inclusive programming to them? Yeah. So I focus on inclusive leadership development, basically a combination of skills, knowledge, strategies to help both individuals and companies reap the benefits of inclusive leadership. So it happens often through sometimes a simple experience like a lunch and learn or a keynote. You know, that's me modeling one of the skills of inclusive leadership is meeting businesses where they are. And sometimes that's the mo- the biggest step a business can take right now is a simple presentation or lunch and learn, right? And then other times they're ready to take that next step, which usually looks like consulting. We do a systems audit, behavior audit, and then we're able to take some real, real steps towards that developing that inclusive leadership and all the goodness that can come from it. Can you define inclusive leadership for us? How would you define that? Absolutely. I think I would go back to that. We mix knowledge with some skills, with um, some behavior change, and we're able to get some measurable results. I think a lot of times words like diversity, inclusion, equity, they can feel like buzzwords, a lot of fluff, not a lot of action there, right? Inclusive leadership is the way that we can measure the impact that we're making on a business through actual numbers, through actual increases in productivity, lower turnover rates, uh, decreased safety incidences even. We can see a real impact both on the bottom line as well as the culture, as well as our world when we invest in that kind of education. 
It seems like a no-brainer question for both of us. Why is that needed? Right. Well, I mean, we, and we even talked about it before we went on air. I mean, some mm-hmm. real-time, real examples. Mm-hmm. Why, from maybe the viewer or the listener uh, who runs their own company or is in a, a C-suite position and they're listening, why is inclusive leadership so necessary? And you know, making it uh, transferable to these are the hard numbers Mm -hmm. so that it's visible and it's real and living. Absolutely. I think I'd love to answer that with a story. So I'm sure you've heard of Raytheon, right? Large tech company here in Arizona. In the early 2000s, they had a rock star of a leader that was running some really large projects in Southern Arizona. And these projects were critical to Raytheon's success at the time, as well as the economy of Arizona. And this leader went on, worked at the Department of Defense, did some amazing things. She's now a VP at Airbus. She is a rock star of a leader that does amazing things for any organization she's a part of. Now, let's take it back to the early 2000s when she was with Raytheon running those huge projects. At the time, Raytheon's competitor, Lockheed Martin, we've all heard of them as well, they were the ones that were getting the rock star talent. They had the bigger budgets. They had the sexier research projects. They were the one really attracting all the good talent. This leader, Amanda Simpson, was with Raytheon, giving them a huge competitive edge at a time that they really needed it. Now, coincidentally, at that exact same time, Raytheon was making really intentional steps with their leadership to become trans-inclusive, including with their benefits. In response, Lockheed Martin decided to go the other direction. Now, spoiler alert, this rock star leader is trans. Miss Amanda Simpson, it was very easy for her to make a decision of where am I going to take my skills and my talents. And that gave Raytheon that competitive edge. And when companies decide that's not a road we're going to go down for a variety of reasons, that's what they're foregoing, is that competitive edge. I also think that it, when you're surrounded by people who are just yes people and agreeing mm-hmm. with you, it's no better than talking to yourself. So from a, from a really pragmatic perspective, having an inclusive approach in business, it just makes more sense. You make better decisions when you have more perspectives helping you inform your decision-making. You get more nuanced answers. And I think, how can you say no to that, mm-hmm. right? We really increase our innovation. Yeah. We increase our productivity. We increase so many things that affect the bottom line in very real ways when we're able to develop these skills. Starting with, as you said, safety. To me, it's, I'm kind of seeing Maslow's hierarchy in my right. mind as we're talking about this. If employees and stakeholders clients, customers, vendors, whatever, don't feel safe mm-hmm. and and can't even express why mm-hmm. or how, then then everything else above that stops, right? Absolutely. Or at least is is um, held really tight and the growth and that innovation can't mm-hmm. be there. And one of my favorite ways to explain that that makes it really simple to see is this really great analogy. Let's take two families, family A and family B. So with family A, let's say they have all the resources in the world for the one child that they have. They've got coaches, they've got tutors, they've got organic food, they've got a great family network, they've got all these assets. Family B, none of those assets for their one kid, none of them. But in family A, it's not safe to question. It's not safe to think outside the box. It's not safe to reach and fail. In family B, with none of those assets, they have a huge amount of safety. We can stretch. We can try. We can fail. We've got your back. 
It's always going to be okay. Question anything you want because I'm not going to take it personally, right? That's psychological safety. Now, I always ask my audiences, what family are you going to bet on? What kid is going to go farther? The one with all the assets or the one with psychological safety? And then we take that to business. If these were two different businesses in the same industry, which one would you bet on? It's interesting. Uh, I know a couple of families who are very close to me. And uh, the way in which they parent even two different children within that family, (laughs) one is offered psychological safety and the other is not. And it breaks my heart. (sighs) Yeah. So again, this conversation around how do we show up to offer, I don't know what the right word is, compassion and just basic rights. Is it, does it come down to having those conversations with organizations and the, and the, the leadership team? Do you, do you start there and you build from there? Oftentimes, we have to get to the root of inclusion as being able to be inclusive of ourselves. So oftentimes, when we have a leadership team that's struggling with authentic inclusion, they're struggling with bringing their whole selves to the table. So true. Yeah. So agree. <laughs> yes. I mean, but you can't do it without the leaders, like the leaders right. have to be on board. I mean, grassroots inclusion from the bottom is amazing. It's beautiful. But ultimately, I think the best approach is a little bit of both. Yes. An Oreo of inclusivity. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and if, a, if a leader isn't willing to take a look at themselves, mm-hmm. then, then of course, it's going to stop at some— the, There's the a limit. Inclusi- the inclusivity—I can't say that word—is <laughs> uh, going to be limited and stop at some point. Yeah. Yeah. To your note about safety, I think it's also important to reflect on it's not just the safety of the employees and the clients. You're a mom. You have children who might identify now or later as LGBTQ, for example. You're going to worry about them, you know? Mm -hmm. So the landscape, you know, you got to think about everything regarding your employees' well-being. What's on their mind? Mm -hmm. What's impacting their productivity today? Are they worried about their kid's safety? Is their kid a drag performer just wanting to have some fun at a performance this weekend and they're nervous about it? You know, so safety, I think, impacts us all. Absolutely. When we're looking at the numbers, we're looking at Gen's. So I'm a young Gen Xer. So we're identifying. Thanks for throwing that in there. Right. As if I'm not. <laughs> you are. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so Gen X is identifying as LGBTQ right around 8 to 10%, depending on what survey you're looking at. The millennials are identifying between 12 and 15%, again, looking at surveys. Gen Z, Ooh. Gen Z, the most conservative survey you'll find will have them identifying at 24%. I have a more inclusive survey that they are identifying in the UK at 33%, and then the U.S. at 32%. So we're looking at one in three of our future workforce, of our future market, Mm -hmm. identifying not heterosexual. So are our workplaces prepared for that? Are Gen X leaders prepared for that? And are the boomers, (laughs) which is where (laughs) I sit right on that cusp. And we know that at least my age range and beyond is less comfortable around these conversations. And I'm grateful that there are a lot of folks who come through the Phoenix Business Radio X who are saying, even even Daryl, our producer, (laughs) said earlier before we went on air, I don't always know the right things to say. I said the same thing. And yet, I want to (laughs) learn. And I said the same thing to you. Correct me when I'm wrong. It's funny because Daryl and I went to, we go to several networking events, chamber events and larger events that are held through the state. 
that are obviously business-related. And it always frustrates he and I when we're sitting somewhere in either the back of the room or a, a, a table where we're, we're sponsoring, and somebody in the front is talking about their initiatives, and oftentimes it involves inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And we look around the room, and we're not seeing any diversity. Yeah. So I, I'd love to have us talk about that for, again, our viewers and listeners. I remember one time in particular, it's something that we care very deeply about and is a great leader. And they were talking about the initiative, and I think it was beginning of 2022, and inclus- you know, inclusivity and, and you know, reaching out and all these things. And everybody looked like this middle-aged Caucasian man, except for Daryl and I, basically, <laughs> and just a handful of people plunked here and there. And this is truly a leader who does want to make a difference. And I've seen a remarkable difference in his organization since this this conversation, this talk, which is great. How do you help people who don't even know where to start um, and maybe coming with some bias, either they're aware of their bias or they're not aware? And how do they help, how do you help them start opening up their doors a little bit more to becoming more, I'm going to use the word evolved. And, and the reason why I'm asking that is I remember having conversations, not with this particular person, other people who, who and I've said, have you looked at who comes to your meetings? And, and are you aware that you all look the same? Their response to me is, well, we don't know anybody, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think that's the first place to start. Like, well, every you know, everybody I know and I run with and I work with looks, feels, and and and, and talks the same way. So, how do we? I know that's a big, <laughs> a big thing that I've just put out there. How do we, how do we help step out of our own little neighborhood or our own little world so that we can be more insightful and more sure. inclusive? I think I'll answer that first from like a private perspective, and then maybe you can answer how the LGBT kind of advises companies that bring that question to the table, the chamber. So I would say one of the first things we do, you know, it's a breadth of perspective, right? And I like to divide it into let's do some inner work, right, around self-awareness, around some unconscious bias. And frankly, that phrase is is heading out the window because we're now expected to be conscious of our biases, right? Evolved human beings, leaders are expected to start to be conscious of what's going on within them and how it might be affecting the people that they work with, their family members, et cetera. And then we can also look at systems, so, for example, when I'm working with companies, we're looking at their systems. We're looking at what kind of relationships do you have in the community? Do you belong to the Black Chamber of Commerce, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the LGBT Chamber of Commerce, right? Do you have relationships with at least two HBCUs? Like, where are your relationships coming from, HBCU. right? A historical back Black college and university. Thank you. Yep. When we just step up from there and we really take a look at what we're often seeing is companies are able to attract some diverse talent in the lower ranks, I'm going to say, and not so much in the higher ranks. And that's where we start to look at how inclusive is your professional development, Mm -hmm. because that is usually a program where employees are able to kind of stretch and flex and show that they've got initiative and they can do these things. But oftentimes those programs are geared towards people with privilege. And so that's where we can see a pipeline that's not flowing all the way up to the top if we have a bottleneck at the professional development level. Thank you. Yeah, just some thoughts. What do you think, Vera? I don't know. I mean, I think there's I think there's so many answers. I'll say what we at the chamber do, and this also echoes how I approach it personally. I think it's really important to make a safe space for, you know, this is obviously specifically within the LGBTQ realm, 
to make a safe space for allies to come be near queer people. <laughs> Whoa. Like, <laughs> hey, allies, come hang out with us so you can start to see that we're just normal people. Yeah. Like, we're just normal, lovely businesses with some different perspectives and different approaches. And that's been really powerful because I think you can't, I don't know, in my life experience so far, you can't force somebody to open their mind. You have mm-hmm. to encourage them mm-hmm. gently over time, we have sometimes to less gently. Are. We have yeah. to meet them where they are. And uh, and over and over again, and as over long as they're again. willing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, as long as we, we had an incredible presentation last year by a professor at the UVA, Dr. Katina Sawyer. She She's an ally, but she has, like, dedicated her entire life to studying the LGBTQ experience in the workplace. So she came and talked to us, and she said that her research shows that one of the best things that allies can do is just be humble and be willing to learn and be willing to say sorry and move on and keep learning. And so at the Chamber, we really honor that by we're never going to turn an ally away. We're never going to treat you know, unless they're a jerk, let's be real. We have done that before, actually. They're not, that's not an ally, right? That's right. an adversary. We're like, get out. This yes. is a safe space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's how we approach it, is by giving people the space to grow in the way that I believe people will grow. Mm-hmm. If you give them the safe space, I think that evolution is almost inevitable. Not entirely. You got to educate them a little bit, but... yeah. And I think you brought up a really good point earlier. A lot of what I hear from my clients are, I want to say the right thing. I have no idea what the right thing is. And I have no idea if what comes out of my mouth is going to offend someone, Mm -hmm. hurt someone, harm someone, right? And so when we can empower people who are willing to learn with the language, the context, the tools, to be able to speak up and make the impact that they want to make, that is going a long way towards creating that psychological safety. Be willing to fail forward in the effort of learning and education. Mm -hmm. You had said it a minute ago. Just be be humble enough. (laughs) Strange. (laughs) Be (laughs) humble enough to to say, I I really don't know, and I'm willing to fail forward. I'm willing to to have those embarrassing moments or those moments where someone holds me accountable. Tucson LGBTQ Chamber has a motto, inclusive business is good business. I think we've kind of surfaced around why (laughs) that's an important motto. Is there anything else you want to specifically say to that? It's interesting to reflect on. There's statistics say that there's 1.4 million LGBT-owned businesses in the U.S. 1.4. Contributing, I think it's, I mean, it's over $1.4 trillion annually to the economy. It's, right. it's a bananas amount of money. So for us, the motto inclusive business is good business. You know, there's two approaches. We believe it's obviously the right thing to do. It's the right side of history. Like, queer people, trans people, we're not going anywhere. We've been here all along. Mm -hmm. Get on board. Like, let's all move past this. But also look at the rainbow dollars. Oh my gosh, that impact is huge. So, and that's just the businesses that are LGBTQ owned. When you Mm -hmm. think about what queer and trans people bring to the workforce and also as consumers, the buying power, wow, you'd be really short-sighted to not be on board the motto of inclusive business is good business. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the numbers prove it out. The numbers yeah. prove that when we develop authentic inclusion in our companies, we have the increased productivity. We have mm-hmm. the lower turnover costs. Like, we have a larger pool of talent to pull from. Mm-hmm. And that's what companies need if they want to be here five years from now, 10 years from now. They need a larger market share. They need a larger pool of talent. And if we're not being inclusive, we are not going to have access to those given who Gen Z is, given who the millennials are. They are driving the economy. They're driving where where they're spending their dollars, <clears throat> which is fantastic. Really We've is. had these conversations. We've talked about the division between races and, and ethnic backgrounds. So I'm happy to see that we continue to to be more inclusive all the way around, (laughs) right? We've had conversations with the Women on Board Initiative, having more women show up on advisory and governing boards. And so, uh, yes, it's, you cannot, you said it earlier, you cannot bury your head in the sand any longer and claim, I don't know, I didn't know, (laughs) because it's, yeah, you just can't do that. It is the reality that's out there. And what's fascinating, I feel like, is, you know, I come... Anyone looking at me, I know this is a radio show, but anyone looking at me. There's also video right now on LinkedIn, just so you know. Right? No one looking at me thinks, there's a lesbian, there's a woman from a marginalized community, right? Like, my diversity, like many people, is not an obvious visible diversity, and that's okay. And so that's kind of my secret sauce that I can bring to the table of— you might have way more diversity in the room than you're even aware of. And there are people that are not bringing their whole selves to the table. So if we can just make the impact that's in this room of allowing everyone to come to the table with all of their identities, you're right there. It's not even, you don't even have to attract other talent that's outside. Like actually being authentically inclusive of who's in the room gives you a step up and an edge over other companies. I'm thinking of neurodiversity as well. Mm, I've just yeah. got out of three years of traumatic experiences in my life. And I, I always use the phrase, I've been trying to find my way out of a paper bag. And I finally, the fog lifted around Christmas time after, you know, doing a bunch of different things around self-care. And I'm far more careful about my teammates, vendors, again, stakeholders, friends, and other committees and organizations that, um, again, to your point, may show up, you know, appearing more average than than other people, and yet we all are quite unique. Right. <laughs> there could be a multiple, multitude of different things that have us feeling separate. Mm-hmm. And here's the real challenge. How can we be accepting of that we're a little different or a lot different and not feel shame about it? So in my practice, I have four pillars that I teach my clients to help them build those inclusive leadership skills. And the very first pillar where it really starts is right around self-awareness. And it's actually what I did my TED Talk on. So it is this concept of I can intentionally observe my thoughts, my actions, my emotions, and not judge them. Because if I've put that blanket of judgment on top, I can't learn from them and I can't change reality. But if I can intentionally observe, that allows me the ability to remove that blanket of shame. And then I'm able to see my reality for what it is. And that's the reason why that's a huge part of my career and my talking points is because I didn't come out until I was 37. I didn't know this about myself until I was well into my life. And I was bound and determined that there was never going to be anything else hiding inside this brain and body of mine that I wasn't aware of that was still really affecting my day-to-day reality. And that is an issue that a lot of us have, regardless of what community that we're a part of. Mm -hmm. There are things within us that if we're not aware of, they are still affecting our day-to-day reality. 
in my world, when I'm coaching consulting, I call that shadow work. <laughs> it's a big part of what I do. I'm a trauma guide and a shadow integration coach, helping people find their way to what are those pieces of yourselves that have been under lock and key that you're aware of and you want to keep them that way, or that you're trying to open up and, and be explore so that we're not projecting because that's really what right. happens, right? Mm -hmm. We then begin Absolutely. to project it on top of everybody else and we think, oh, it's about you or it's about you. And the reality is it's a mirror looking back in your direction. So this is a, a rich conversation. I love that you brought up neurodivergence. I mean, mm -hmm. inclusivity, I think a lot of people just tend to imagine what are the, you know, what are the colors of the faces around the boardroom table? And it's so much more than that. It's more than sexuality, it, it is also things like neurodivergence. It's also, you know, making space for people in the office to, I've been doing a lot of reading because of the game bar. I'm like, how do we give people practical tips and tricks of how to be inclusive in their businesses? And one of the things I recently saw was like, make space for introverts. Yes. Mm. You can't, and something as simple as that, we write off introversion versus extroversion as, you know, something barely more important than a 17 magazine quiz dating myself right now. <laughs> but, uh, but in the workplace, it's really vital to actually recognize, hey, I know that, you know, we have these big meetings and the, you know, whatever, the types of people in the room demand answers now. And I know that you're actually the type of person who might need to sit on this and think about it. I'd love for you to come back to me after this meeting as you reflect on what we've talked about and share your, share your thoughts with me, inviting people to the table from where they sit. It's, I mean, that's something that we leaders can do every single day that dispels shame. That's not, hey, you stupid introvert. I'm, I mean, I'm sort of a stupid introvert myself. <laughs> but, but admittedly so. <laughs> admittedly so. Right. It's, hey, I see you for who you are. I value what you bring to the table. Come talk to me later. And I'm going to meet you where you're at, which is what you yeah. both keep saying. This takes me back to my teaching days Uh Years ago, I taught in the Kyrene School District and went on to be mm. an assistant principal. And I remember really being aware of how students learn and how different. I was a different learner myself. Mm. So it was to my advantage to, you know, when I asked a question, I used it in the early days. Remember, I'm going to count to myself to 10 before those, you know, the, the, those hands that always pop up in the middle, uh, you ask a question, those first two hands, we tend to go right to those hands and they, the kids are typically going to always have the right answer. I taught myself to count to 10 and lo and behold, in that awkward pregnant silence, all the hands just about would be popping up because kids and adults, we all show up a little bit differently. We mm -hmm. need a little bit more time to make sense of things. So th those life skills, and leadership skills definitely transfer into the workplace and the communities where, where we're, we're being kind and patient and understanding of each other. Not everybody is a cookie cutter, even though, you know, some people still wish that it were that case. Right. <laughs> Tell us about South, something else to add. Well, I was just thinking about how, especially you as an educator, you knew that if a child wasn't feeling safe, they couldn't learn. Right. Right. They could not learn. They, our brains will not take in new information if our nervous systems are dysregulated. I mean, and if we're going like, to, right, like there's a lot of issues in education right now about the fact that we haven't addressed the trauma of the pandemic, but we're still expecting these kids to learn when The same way we were teaching them, which wasn't great to begin with. No, anyway. right. <laughs> so as leaders in an organization, we know that as we're onboarding people, we need to make their learning 
what we've invested into our LMS, our learning management systems, will go so much farther if we've also invested into making sure that our workplace is psychologically safe. One of the things I sometimes struggle with as a business leader is I want to make space for folks who have learning differences or processing differences or whatever. What about when they, and I'm curious actually both of your thoughts, what about when they haven't done that work themselves? Most people haven't. Right. And mm-hmm. most people haven't. How So how do you make space for something that I don't necessarily understand? I don't know what it means to be bipolar, for example. And if they also don't know what that means. But we can all agree, probably some accommodations might need to be made. Mm-hmm. Or we just need to be aware of, you know, the different processing type. Mm-hmm. How do you approach that? I think it comes down to communication skills and willingness to have those hard conversations. Uh, I mentioned that I am a shadow guide and I also help with trauma healing. And I find myself frustrated at times when I hear about trauma-informed workplaces and some of the programs. And I'd love to hear both of your perspective on this since this is similar to the work that you do. When somebody says, I go into businesses and I help them understand what a trauma-informed workplace is, right, or suicide prevention or whatever, and, and if we keep it just at the head level where it's contextual and it's, it's theory and it's statistics, if we're only stopping there, we might be informed, but we're not helping the person or the people who are struggling with suicidal ideation or they're they're in a trauma response and they're still in fight, flight, or freeze mode or fawn mode. And to your point, they're not even aware of it. They're just dysregulated and they're not functional. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying about the work that you do. You start with that level if that's necessary. And then there's deeper, deeper levels of education and opportunities to then say, okay, let's take it from the head perspective where it's just information. And now let's make it practical And let's offer those opportunities where we can engage and start to experience, oh, this is different. Or here's how I show up, the self-reflective piece Mm -hmm. and self-assessment piece. And then the next layer of that is providing uh, our, our teammates and our employees and our community members opportunities for the coaching and, and the, the real work, mm-hmm. right? So if I have a mental health issue and challenge, let's, let's find the right resources so that we can better learn and understand who we are and how we show up. And then I can have the verbiage to go back to my teammate and say, and, I, and I've been doing all along throughout this journey because I just tend to be wired that way. I can go back to say to, to my teammate, listen, I'm struggling today. And I'm not sure, you know, what's happening, but I want to show up respectfully and in conversation. And I'm also not firing on all pistons today. So, that we, you know, we, we need to help people get to that point where they can be self-aware in addition to give each other the verbiage to say, here's, here's how I show up. Here's how you can best support me. I would love both of your perspectives on, on that piece. But I, I think that it's I think we make the mistake when we only buy into programs or we invite in programs that are only going to keep it at a very text-based level. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think that feels safer for our C-level executives. Okay, we're going to call ourselves trauma-informed workplaces, or we're going to be inclusive and diverse, and we're going to do this one half-day workshop or (laughs) two-hour online program, and then boom, check mark. We've we've done it. Now we're good. No, no, No. you're not. (laughs) It's a practice. It definitely is. It's a muscle that has to be flexed. There's no doubt about it. Over and over and over again in order to really get it intrinsic into who we are as leaders. I think one thing that I do that I work with clients, I actually don't use the concept of trauma-informed because I don't feel like I'm qualified to make a workplace trauma-informed, but I can certainly 
create a path for trauma sensitivity. And when we do that from the basis of what are we being inclusive of in ourselves, then we're able to know what part of us do we want to make visible. I talk a lot about strategic visibility, right? What stories that we want to share and what stories that we don't want to share. But we learn how to be strategically vulnerable with our teams, which creates a safe space for them to be vulnerable with us as well. And that creates that trauma-sensitive environment. And I'll give an example. So I'm an LGBT certified-owned business as well as a women-owned business. And recently, there's a certification that I'm getting that I don't talk about a lot, which is disability certified-owned. And that came to a head when So I have an injury from 10 years ago that creates chronic pain. And about once or twice a month, it'll take me out for a good 72 hours, right? And of course, because of the trauma that's around it, part of my coping strategy is, I'm going to work through it. I'm going to work through that pain, right? Like, I'm going to show up to all my meetings. Yeah, not great. (laughs) So I'm having a team meeting, and I'm talking to my team and saying, I'm really sorry. I've tried to be present this week, but I just haven't been. I haven't shared this with you, but this is what I struggle with on a fairly regular basis. And it was because I was getting that certification that I was like, I should probably get comfortable talking about this. And so there I am with my team and come to find out after I've been shared this strategically vulnerable part of myself, my team was able to respond with, okay, well, I've never told you, but I deal with this, right? And so it opened up this really safe spot where then I didn't have to be, I didn't have to bring in some outside educator. What I could do is genuinely and authentically ask them, what are the best ways that I can show up for you? And here are the best ways that you can show up for me. And it doesn't have to be an ego thing or pride thing or even a humility thing because this is just us being self-aware and inclusive. And in community. And in community, absolutely. Yeah, and then you take a step back and you have to think about how are the policies of the company supporting people's individual growth one of the things that we at SWS did last year was we made um, mental health appointments not not count against people's PTO. I mean, there's there's plenty of, what's the word I'm looking for? There's plenty of impediments to people seeking therapy, financial, you know, the stigma of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Binding someone who was taking clients oh, right, right now. Right now oh, is the, the biggest thing. Yeah. Oh, that is the worst. So we were like, well— we can make space for these one-on-one conversations, you know, in a really authentic and compassionate way. We can also make sure that our company policies at least remove some of the, uh, the barriers to seeking individual growth. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm my own trauma informed. I am informed about my trauma. That's right. right? (laughs) I'm not informed about others' trauma. I'm not a professional in that space. I have a therapist. I'm not a therapist. So there's only so much that I feel comfortable offering to my employees in a one-on-one space besides just compassionate conversation. But I can at least say, hey, go to therapy. Just in the middle of the day, just go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not going to count against you. Just go. Yeah. So So I have a 15-year-old. He's a freshman this year. And given that we've been through a traumatic experience, I am more sensitive to his need for mental health days. (laughs) Uh, And so when I call him that absence, there is no problem with me just saying, uh, he's out today. It's just a mental health day. That's right. right? Like, <laughs> I don't know what y'all are going to do with that, but I hope that every parent is calling in these sorts of days when they're needed. And sure enough, you know, the magic behind giving him space to not feel great mentally mm-hmm. um, means that he can show up in so many different ways. Uh, and, and having grown up while my parents were very loving parents, and my dad mainly is the one who raised myself and my siblings, I wish that my dad would have been more open to that. Uh, 
but again, that was, you know, early 70s. And I just don't know that, you know, I, I'm sure he was dealing with his own set of stuff, let oh, alone sure. being knowing how to handle, uh, you know, a prepubescent <laughs> teenage girl uh, who, who couldn't, you know, who had a hard time uh, showing up all the time. Although, on the outside looking in, everybody thought Karen had it all together, mm-hmm. and which is why I've been so loud about the journey that I've been on. Um, I love what you said. It's a strategic vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I love that too. Yeah, that's been, um, I've been very strategic about sharing my story the last three years. Um, hasn't always felt that way. It, Sometimes people are like, oh, that's a lot. How do you do that? <laughs> Sometimes I think, I don't know. It's been a download and it's been, I've had no choice but to share my journey mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's my my purpose here on earth. So when we can have these kinds of conversations on Phoenix Business Radio X, yeah. no less, in the business community, it helps everybody move forward um, in a more dignified way. Tell us a little bit more about your company, um, Southwest Solutions, do you have an inclusive leadership protocol or like how does that show up in your workplace in addition to what you do in the chamber? We don't, I mean, we're, we're small. We're a team of nine and three of us are co-owners. So we, inclusivity for us feels really grassroots because we're literally just sitting across the table with our entire team. So for us, inclusivity looks like making sure everybody's heard, making sure that we're accommodating people and however they're showing up. You know, it looks like we have a a surprisingly queer workplace. I think we're greater than 50% LGBTQ, which is really amazing. So sometimes it looks like celebrating that with with an internal pride celebration. Um, And I realized just recently, why is that the only celebration of, Mm. of a culture that we're doing? So recently invited one of my teammates to teach us about her culture. So there's a, she's going to give us like a, Boricua talk and culture day for us at some point a little bit later in the year. So there's not leadership protocols. We just try and live it every day. We recently actually did the Gallup Strengths Finder test for everybody in the organization. And that's been fascinating to reflect on how we are and aren't clustered in terms of our various strengths. So now that we have that information, you know, when we move to hire somebody next, like, I don't want them to just fit the mold mm-hmm. <laughs> that we've... Uh, and now you know which which holes need to be filled. Yes. Right. Yeah, totally. right? Now yeah. we can see the mold. Yeah, and that power. seems to be one of the biggest barriers for so many yeah. organizations. Can you see the mold you've created? Because you got to break out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else? <laughs> I, I said I typically look at time, but I've been so, oh, wow. Holy cow, that went fast. <laughs> well, I want to just say, I think it's incredible that we are having this conversation about such human issues on a business radio show. Because I think that, you know, as a second generation business owner, I don't necessarily have the entrepreneurial spirit. I'm coming in to the business and looking at how do we how do we make it better moving forward? I'm like step two. So it's a it's a very different perspective from my parents who started the business. And one of the things that I feel like I'm always talking about is, well, business is nothing without the humans that are in it. So I don't know what, I don't know what happened that back in the day, people, you know, society decided that there was no place for humanity in business, you know, no place for emotions. Mm-hmm. No place for real lived experiences. No place for hard day. Just leave it at the door. Do your job. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all just human beings. Businesses exist by and for us. Why are we leaving ourselves at the door? Yeah. So I'm 
delighted that on Phoenix Business Radio, no less, we're talking about such real stuff. I, I love that, and I appreciate the acknowledgement. I got a, um, I'm a licensed partner, so I own the studio, um, and I'm also part of a bigger network. And just today, from the founders who are in Atlanta, Georgia, I got a link that said, "Congratulations on being named as one of fifth, one of sixteen uh, most influ- influential uh, podcasts, and that are social media related." And I was like, "What? How cool is that?" <laughs> and um, that's awesome. It, it is awesome. And that's not just me hosting my shows as the owner of the studio. It's also all of our clients, the local first Arizonas, the Arizona Technology Conscious Capitalism, and all of my independent business owners that have their own shows. We collectively—that's part of what we bring. That's unique to podcasting and B two B radio is having these very candid, authentic conversations in all industries and all verticals where we can talk about the humanity of leadership, the humanity of business practices and the economy. So I, I love that you acknowledge that. And I'm very proud to say that this is this is the whole point of what I've been working towards for six years. <laughs> Seems, and sometimes it feels like a lot less than that and sometimes a lot longer. This is why we do what we do. So I appreciate you guys sharing your time and your expertise, right? And your own personal stories. Did I understand you to say that your parents started Southwest Solutions? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's, Go back to that. You just like <laughs> me plunk that there and step away from it. So it, it's a family business. Yeah, it's a family business. It started in 2014. I came on in 2018. I think it's funny. I they So it's promotional products is sort of the quickest, easiest way to sure. describe it. And they tried to get me to come on board for, I think, years. And I was always like, God, promotional products are so stupid. I hate them. <laughs> And now I hate them so much. It's just trash. Now you have branded everything. And then I realized one day, like, oh my God, wait. They don't have to be trash. Oh my God, I can play the role of helping people choose things that aren't trash. <gasps> I'm in. <laughs> so I came on board and haven't looked back, and it's been such a cool journey. It has been really wonderful. What is there a sweet spot client or type of business that you all uh, enjoy working with the most or is the best fit? Or are you really open to all sizes and different types of businesses? I mean, not, clearly they have to be cool people. I got that part. <laughs> you have to be extremely rad humans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> done. Period. I think I don't have time to convince somebody of the value of keeping their brand top of mind. I need somebody who already gets that. They need to, Done. you know, I see a, a mug right. right in front of me that has business radio That X you get on it. to take home today. <gasps> Both of you have your own personal <laughs> <Thank> you. mug. <laughs> yeah, so I love working with people who already get that basic value because then we can talk about how to, how to be even better because mm-hmm. there's, you know, the bare minimum. I want to take people up beyond the bare minimum, how to be more intentional, how to bring all of this human everything, the, the interaction of, hey— I got this mug for you. This isn't just about the mug. This is about the human moment where we make eye contact and I give this gift to you. How cool is that? So cool. That's all <laughs> needs to be a part of the conversation. So, but you can't have that conversation with somebody who's like, I don't want to spend the money. I don't spend zero dollars. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I don't I understand. I have 10 bucks and need a thousand things tomorrow. I'm like, oh God. Yeah. That's not your ideal That's client. That's not my ideal client. <laughs> That's a beautiful way to, to explain who you're willing to work with. It's perfect. How about with Elena Joy Experience? Who is a great, who's the best fit for you guys? Who I love working with are organizations who are aware, uh, you know, I think similar, not just like aware of their branding and the importance of it, but aware of we know we have room to improve, but we don't know how. 
And we know there's some barriers, whether within certain people or people, stakeholders, whoever it might be. And we want to approach these barriers and we just need someone to help us figure out how to do that. I think those are the clients that I just adore working with. And one thing that I've seen a really huge trend with is that we have Gen X leaders who really do consider themselves allies. And they have been hiring Gen Z staff who in the last three to five years have been embracing other pronouns and embracing a gender gender non-conforming change. And these older leaders who really consider themselves allies are struggling with that. They're struggling to understand how if you were born a woman and you identify as non-binary or trans, how is that not turning your back on womanhood, right? There's a really fascinating conversation that we can have there without shame, without anger, without being defensive, without being in someone's face, right? And it's those kinds of companies who are willing to say, yeah, we do struggle with that. And we do want to see what's on the other side of that. Those are the conversations and the companies that are so fun to work with. Well, I have to give you a shout out because I've seen you interact with groups of, you know, all kinds of different people. And Elena Joy has Really, I think it's your superpower. The your ability to use the language that is going to land with the person that you're talking to. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of like code switching. Maybe you call it code switching. Even you code switch like a boss. And it's it not is. sugarcoating. I don't hear you saying it's sugarcoating. No, it's no, being able to meet them where they're at, which is what you said earlier. Without mm-hmm. sacrificing the integrity of the message, you just. I mean, you can just dial up the impact no matter who you're talking to. And that is so special because that's one of the things that I think a lot of, you know, especially DEI trainers get it wrong. They don't shift the communication style at all. And if you don't do that, you're not going to have as much impact. So my experience with the Elena Joy experience was like, <laughs> holy shit, this lady knows what's up. <laughs> and and is, there, is there room, is there a program where you can help other DEI trainers and companies Find that secret sauce for themselves. That If you're not doing that yet, I think there's something there for you. It's kind of what I alluded to earlier, right? That that there are so many people out there screaming and, and branding themselves as this or that to hire me, bring me into your company, and I'm going to help you do the X, Y, Z. It's a lot like the coaching industry, yes. right? Yes. Where anybody can hang a shingle and say, I'm this, and come to me for this information, or even marketing and branding for that matter. How do we weed through the stuff that stays here and only gets us so far to really find the, the people who bring depth and real cellular change, not only at an embodied change, but also embodied within an organization and the, the synergy of that. So do, you ha- do you offer that to other people? Who are <laughs> do you in? want to? Yeah, yeah. Can, can you just sign here and tell me that you promise you're going to do that if you're not Absolutely. already? Absolutely. <laughs> That's in the five-year plan. I got you I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased. And what a great acknowledgement uh, to share that because yes, that, that's a whole nother, I believe it's a whole nother layer of the kind of work that we all are collectively and individually moving towards. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. How do our listeners and viewers uh, get in touch with either, both of you? And what's the best place to start to see if they're a good fit? We've already kind of outlined, you know, who you are, who you are are best suited for, what's the entry point? 
So I love to connect with my friends on LinkedIn, definitely there, as well as you can check out my website and all my programs at elenajoyexperience.com. And I definitely play a little bit on Instagram. So if you're in that playing mode, you can find me there for sure. Very good. And your TED Talk is located on your website? It is, yeah. And is it Elena Joy? Mm-hmm. elenajoyexperience.com. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm on both. I love it. I think we're already connected because Daryl took care of that I'm for so us. I'm so glad. Good job, Daryl. Thank you for go being Darryl. here today. Yeah, go Daryl. <laughs> it's your birthday. No, it's not. But, yeah. Yes. Fair I right. am garbage at LinkedIn. Wow. I'm on LinkedIn. What? I what is be, it? I know. I need to be better. We're working on that. Yeah. Yes. We're working, yes. working on that. I know. It's just, what's, the, what's the resistance or the hesitancy? Uh, my honest answer yes, is Yes, that's that what we're here for. LinkedIn feels the positivity and thought driving on LinkedIn just feels so performative for me. It's so hard for me to handle all of these. I just want to introduce you to my friend, whoever's doing this amazing thing. I'm like, do you? I don't think you talk like that in real life. <laughs> oh, they might. And they might. <laughs> they might. But when you see everybody doing it and sort of finding a mold and fitting it, it's just hard for me to understand that landscape in an intuitive way. We talk about this a lot. It doesn't feel authentic, so I don't know how to engage in that. Gotcha. And? And it's a really good resource that I'm on. And could I offer a a thought? Happily, please. So like Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, LinkedIn um, begins to understand and know what you like to see more of. And you can let it know that through the way you're engaging in comments in addition to the articles and posts that you put up. And so lo and behold, and I'm not great about LinkedIn either. It's a, it, for me, it's a matter of time and, and how much how much love I get from yes. Facebook and Instagram. I'm like, oh, they love me. I'll stay here. Absolutely. <laughs> and treat it like those other social media things, which I haven't heard yet if you're on the others. And you will begin to see the things that you want in your feed. I, I find people, when they talk about social media and, and they don't like certain aspects of it, you get to sit at the control at the helm of that that helicopter and you get to say, don't like this, like this. Now, we can get into trouble with that too, right? The echo <laughs> chamber. Yes, because yes. then we become very polarized. It's true. So we have to take responsibility for that as well. That's part of why we're in the situation that we're in in some of the ugliness that we're experiencing. Gosh, no kidding. Uh, and at the same time, if if I want rainbows and lollipops, I can let my social media feed, please just show me mostly rainbows, rainbows and lollipops and I'm not going to see all the other stuff. I mean, I prefer rainbows and lollipops over doom scrolling personally. Correct. <laughs> yes. So I am on LinkedIn and I can be reached on LinkedIn. <laughs> and I'm you're going to get more effective on And it. I'm going to message you back on LinkedIn. <laughs> That'll be my first thing that I do. And, and Daryl will respond. It'll actually be <laughs> Thank you. Daryl will let me know that we're yes. connected. Uh, I'm also and- on Instagram. My company is SWS Tucson, and we're on Facebook, but that is my—I'm least reliable on Facebook, so that is really just there for the, the, for the boomers, boomers who like to see what we're up to. <laughs> for me. For me and my crowd still yes. hanging out on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. I will—I think my tombstone might say that. Something about still on Facebook. Still, still on Facebook. <laughs> And, and and I won't let them take it to, you know, when obviously someone has passed on and they change that. I'll just need to keep it active and alive well beyond my time on here on Earth. in perpetuity. <laughs> right. Okay. I hope my kids are listening because that's yes. what it's going to say. Ridiculous. And then the website is... SWSTucson.com. SWSTucson.com. Yeah. And then connecting with the Gamer is 
The really, Gamber. The Gamber. The two, you're well, now springing I that know, in. I know. You're using the that, and it's 1158. LGBT <laughs> Chamber of Commerce, it's just a big mouthful. So we all lovingly call it the Gamber. The Gamber, baby. Yeah. The Gamber. Come to the Gamber. It's G A M B E R. G A Y M B E R. Yeah. Dot com. Queerber didn't work. No, no but we Gamber. tried out other ones. But Gamber's the best. And and that's Tucson's? It's Tucson's. Well the done, Gamber. You. So our Instagram handle is our acronym, which is T L G B T C C. We really just need to change it to the Gamber. What I think doing? so. I okay. know a guy. I'll do you have you him. have your list here? Here's a pen. Just your all your action items. I'm okay, the guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're the guy. I'm here. <laughs> no one will understand that that wasn't on with us beforehand. <laughs> so great to be with you. you I too. I had a sense that those would be a lot of fun when you guys walked in here. So thank you for that. And a shout out to Kristen, who's <laughs> over here video recording. <laughs> we thank you for being here and capturing all the all the highlights as well as Daryl doing the same on behalf of Phoenix Business Radio X. Great to be with you guys today. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneur Work Center right here in Tempe, Arizona. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.